one more day. We think of all the days since the beginning of time, and God has never failed to show forth his goodness. He supplied our every need accord, uh, according to the needs of one more day. And we certainly have much to praise him about and to thank him for. We want to welcome each of you to the evening service this evening. We're thankful for a beautiful day, a good day that he's given us, and that we can bring this day to a close as we look to, into his word and worship him. We're thankful for the prayers that have been offered and that you continue to offer up on behalf of, of this revival meeting. Uh, I feel like I'm just a weak instrument in his hands, but I do want to be a useful instrument, and I feel that it's through your prayerful help uh, that uh, that can happen, that can become a reality. But we would invite you to open your Bibles again. Let's see how many Bibles we have in the house tonight. Could you just hold up the Bibles? That is impressive. That is impressive. Thank you. We're going to reread a scripture that we read last night and then go to the Old Testament. First of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We didn't get finished with that scripture last night, and uh, we probably won't get finished with it tonight. That's how the word is. It's so full and it's so rich. But we'll reread that. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Last night we talked about the treasure, and... As Brother Ray said in the opening, we have this treasure, the greatest treasure, and it's inexhaustible. We cannot delve to the depths. We cannot dig deep enough to be able to exhaust and find all the rich treasure that God has for us. I believe that eye hath not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Eternity will reveal, reveal rich things that we never realized, that we could never imagine, I believe. And it gives us a greater appreciation of our Heavenly Father, of His greatness, of His power, and of His loving kindness that He's done it for us. And He's revealed it for us. He's given it to us. And eternity will reveal far more than what time has in regards to that treasure. We feel that the earthen vessel is something that needs to be addressed. I believe we're living in a, a time when people have a very warped view of the earthen vessel. And by the earthen vessel we mean these physical bodies, the natural man. Bible refers to the natural man. There is a spiritual man and there is a natural man. And we'll probably be getting into that a little, a little bit more as we progress. But as I said, I believe that there is a, an overemphasis upon the physical body, the earthen vessel. There is an overemphasis, overglorification. I know that some of you that are older tonight can remember back to your younger years when there was not the display of flesh that we see nowadays 
And I think that that needs to be addressed within the church. We might say, well, well, David, we don't have that problem. I would venture to say that if we let our guards down that we will have that problem. We can never let the guards down. We can never, never be unaware of the potentials for danger, the danger problems. As I review history and have looked at old pictures and things, I find that at the beginning of the 20th century there was very little display of the human, uh, of, the, of, of the flesh, of the human body. No more, there was no more display than what was absolutely necessary. And it was considered a shameful thing even among those that were not professing people. And now look what we have. We might say, well, when, when this world falls, what is going to happen? Well, I think the world has already fallen in a, large, in a large respect. We already live in a fallen world. You have to wonder today how much farther things can go in the overemphasis of the body, overdisplay of the human flesh. We'd like to start by turning to the, to the first chapter of Genesis. I believe that's a good place to establish our beginning. In the first, first chapter, beginning of verse 26, we read, And God said, Let us make men in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the water, that moveth upon the earth. And also chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And God, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I believe it's crucial to understand this scripture, to understand how God might consider the temples of clay. Maybe it would be good for us to go to the potter's house, as Jeremiah was told, and learn a lesson there concerning that. In the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, it says the word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, 
and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Now, I, as I would understand the creation, God is the master potter. He is the one who has made these temples of clay. He is the one who has made these earthen vessels. He says, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. And this is very important for us to understand, that God has a message concerning that which is done by the potter. Verse, four, uh, verse 3, it says, And I went down to the potter's house, and behold, a wrought, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Now, I know there's different applications that can be made here concerning Israel and so forth, but I think there's, there's a good application concerning God being the master potter. He is the creator. That is the first thing that we learn about the earthen vessels is that we are created by God. We're not a, we're not a, res, uh, a result of some natural process that is called evolution. We've all been exposed to that. And you know, we might say, well, we don't believe it, but still, it has a, it has a tendency to rub off on us. And if we're not careful, we will be accepting evolutionary theory into our life. I think we have to be very careful about that. We have to remember that the earthen vessel is a broken and it's a marred vessel. It reminds me a little bit of the children's nursery rhyme that we learned many years ago about Humpty Dumpty. The nursery rhyme said Humpty Dumpty stood on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty together again. Humpty Dumpty was an egg and we would expect an egg to crack when it would fall. But you know the human vessel, the, the uh, vessels of clay are also very fragile. And they're very subject to damage and we need to remember that. Even though they were created by God, the vessel has been broken. We live in a sense in a broken vessel. And we have, to, we have to learn how to deal with that broken vessel. We have to learn how that broken vessel can still be of worth and of value to our Heavenly Father if we do what is right by it. <clears throat> and so it's crucial, as I said, to understand of who and of what we are. To understand that we are of God, that God has created us. We read in his word that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's turn to, to uh, Psalms 139, beginning at verse 14, where it says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which his continuance was fashioned, when there as yet was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. A wonderful scripture concerning God's work. God's greatest work was the his crowning work was that when, when he made man, that which we read of there in Genesis chapter 1. That was his crowning work. All of the other parts of creation was made in preparation for the arrival of man on the scene. 
When God made all of the other parts of creation, he says, behold, it is good. But when he made men and it was all finished, he says, behold, it was very good. It was almost like, in a sense, God clapped his hands. In a sense, it was like God saying, hip, hip, hooray, when man came on the scene. And he, when he united him with a woman, and they became as a family, and they began to uh, be fruitful and to multiply and bring forth children, as God had commanded them. This was well-pleasing to God. But how it must have hurt the heart of God when man disobeyed and ate of the forbidden fruit, and thereby he became a broken earthen vessel. Very sad picture of what took place there in the early times of the history of mankind. We find that the earthen vessel became greatly flawed, but it was deeply loved. It was deeply loved, and God still loves us today, and we have that wonderful verse that Jesus gave us, which says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we find that our, our, our worth does not lie in our goodness, but it lies in affection. It lies in the affection that God has for us. And I guess the best way that I could explain this uh, is to tell you about a very strange advertisement in the newspaper. It came out in the classified ads, and it said something like this, offered a reward of $200 for the return of a rag doll lost by a broken-hearted little girl. Now what do we have here? Was that rag doll worth $200? No, of course not. It had probably been carried, uh, carried around, it was probably soiled, it was probably out of shape, it was ragged, it was torn, but still in the affection of the child, it was worth everything. And so her parents advertised a reward of $200 for the return of that rag doll. Now this is just small in, by, in comparison with the affection that God has for us, but it should help us to understand what it's all about, the worth of our lives, the worth of each one of our lives that are here tonight. It's beyond, it's, it's, it's beyond measure, the value that God places upon even these broken vessels. Just think about it. If we have a broken vessel, what do we do with it? Oftentimes, we take our broken vessels out to the trash can, don't we? Handle comes off of a skillet. Sometimes it hardly seems like it's worth fixing because the Teflon is all gone, so we throw it away. If a piece of crockery or... Uh, or of porcelain ware or china breaks and it gets chipped, we take it out and we throw it away. God didn't do that with us. God didn't do that with mankind. He didn't toss us away. He didn't throw us out on the scrap, scrap heap. He didn't say, well, now you're worthless. But no, he's, ready, he, he's willing to take us back on the wheel of the potter again and remold us and remake us. And so the first thing that we find here in our, our lesson tonight is that we are created by God and God especially loves and cherishes that which he has made. We read there in Psalms 139 where it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Folks, I cannot begin to describe to you the wonders of God's creation. I cannot begin to describe to you the wonders of the sun and the moon and the stars and the universe, the solar systems, 
Things like this is just beginning to unfold and it's so, it's so vast and it's so wonderful uh, that my, human mind cannot comprehend it. But it was all in the mind of God. It was all in the architecture of, of Almighty God. But the, the crowning part of it was the creation of man. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. It goes on to say, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret. I believe this is talking about the growing baby within its mother. The unborn baby. And God is saying, You weren't hidden from me even at that time. Even at that point in your existence, I was aware of you. I was aware of your beginning from day number one. Through the, through the time of your development and of your birth and of your uh, development later on, I was aware of all of that. And I believe that's what the Lord is referring to here. He says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written. God took note of all of the development of the members when the fingers and the toes and the thumbs and the toenails and the fingernails appeared. God took note of all of these things. It, don't we have a wonderful God? A wonderful God that is, is uh, intimately involved in every aspect of our life, all of our development, and coming down even to the hoary hairs of old age. We should, we should stand in awe as we think of the wonders of creation. And have, it didn't just happen, folks. It didn't just happen. We are here as the result of, of divine knowledge and love that God has for his human family. In, all, in thy book all thy members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And it speaks then of God's thoughts towards us. It says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You know, God is not a parent like many human parents. We're hearing more and more of parents that are leaving their children in cars. And, and as a result of being left in those cars, those little children, they don't live. Or they suffer terribly. Sometimes it's because of neglect. Sometimes it's because of forgetfulness. God's not that way. He's vitally concerned about our everyday needs and our problems and our lives. God is greatly concerned about that. <clears throat> we read tonight that we were created in the image of God. I believe that this is speaking of God's moral image. I know that it speaks of God having body parts, but specifically I think that the, that the scripture, when it speaks of the image of God, is speaking of his moral image. I think it's speaking of his righteousness. I think it's speaking of his love. I think it's speaking of his holiness. We have capacity for all of those things. We don't necessarily have those things or, or exhibit, the, exhibit them real well sometimes. We are very lacking. But we have capacity for that. And I think that's what it means where it says that we are created in his image. And it says also that God created us with a living soul. That's a wonderful thing too. 
I'm reminded when I think of the soul and the spirit, I'm reminded of a scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I know this is transgressing, this is uh, leaving our subject just a little bit. We're talking about the earthen vessel. Now we're talking about the soul and the spirit. But we have to recognize that man evidently is a trinity, just like God is a trinity, the body, the soul, and the spirit. How can you explain the soul and spirit? I don't know, but I do believe that there are two, two, two different things. I believe the soul and the spirit is two different parts of us because it says it can be divided to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. So that would definitely indicate that the soul and the soul is separate, the spirit is separate, one of the parts of the trinity of man. But keep in mind that man has a, a moral image. We have that, that God-likeness. That little implantation of, of God-likeness has been placed within man so that we have that potential for righteousness, for holiness, for love and all of the attributes that we think that God has. You know, I, I believe today that I was born at the intersection of two worlds. And I think that all of you were born at the intersection of two worlds. I'd like for you to think about that a little bit. Uh, the one road is horizontal. It follows the contour of the earth. And that is the man that is of the earth earthy that the scripture speaks about. That's, that's the one road that we, were, that we have been born on and that we live on. We live on a horizontal plane as far as this flesh is concerned. As far as our natural bodies, we eat and we sleep and uh, we breathe and we function and we work and we can move and we can do things and all of this. This is, this is that, that place where we have been, been born on as a horizontal plane. We're creatures of earth. In our physical bodies, we're creatures of earth. But there is a vertical line also that we would like for you to think about in this picture. And that vertical place is the place of the soul. It's the place of the spirit. It's what sets us apart from all the other creatures. All the other creatures that God made operate on a horizontal plane. They are creatures of the earth and it stops right there. You are not that way. You are, first of all, a creature of the earth in your physical body, but in your soul and your spirit, you are on a vertical plane. And that's why I say that we are born at the crossroads. And sometimes we find ourselves operating on that horizontal plane. Sometimes we find ourselves on that uh, vertical plane. And we are set apart by being a living soul. And so the first thing that we want you to remember tonight is that we are created by God and everything that we are, God has designed. We are a part of his great design. It's a great architectural plan, but we need to go on. We find also that in the uh, early account of the history of man, that man was tempted to disobey and man followed his lust and fell into disobedience. That's what we call the fall, the fall of man. And we would say today that because of the fall, man was corrupted by sin. Sin was not a normal 
occurrence. And we should never look at sin as being normal, folks. I think that's very important for us to understand. Sin is not a normal occurrence. It is abnormal. When we do things that break God's holy law and break God's holy commandment, that is abnormal. Don't ever think that everybody is doing it so it's all right for us to do it also. That is not correct. Uh, that, that is an abomination. That is misusing uh, God's word to say that. Sin is a willful violation. It was a willful violation when Adam and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit. It was not a normal thing. They had not been doing that. We don't know how long they had lived without uh, partaking of the forbidden fruit. But there was some time involved at least. And so it was, it was, there's no way that we can call that a normal thing for them to do that. Also, we would say that sin is an intrusion. It is something that came into the garden. It was not welcome. But Satan made an intrusion into the lives of our first parents. And that's very important that we understand that because that is the purpose of Satan in our life today. He wants to intrude. He wants to go into an area where he is not invited, but he will push his way in if necessary. He will break the door down. He will break the door of our conscience. He'll break the door of our, uh, of our will so that he can might get to our heart and cause us to transgress. I believe that sin is a disobedience of his holy law, of God's holy law. That was displayed there in the fall of man when they ate the forbidden fruit. And it leads to an alienation. We know that took place there in the garden. Adam and Eve were alienated. They were driven out of the garden. They could no longer fellowship. They could not walk with God in the cool of the, of the day. They had, prior to this, they had wonderful, beautiful, sweet, day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour fellowship with their creator. And that ceased at that moment of disobedience. And they became alienated. They lost their fellowship with God. That's what we call the fall. The fall brought about a great change in the human condition. I believe the fall brought about a great change in the vessel. You know, we think that it's natural for us to get a certain amount of sicknesses, for our bodies to succumb to old age, and to have aches and pains, and we, our, our joints creak and they groan when, as we get older. Is that a normal condition? Not really. Not when you think of God's great plan. Not as God surely must look at it. It's, I don't think that we can say it's normal. God didn't create man that way. It's a part of the fall. It's a part of man's transgression and disobedience that these things are brought upon us. And so the fall has brought about a great change, not only in man's relationship, but with how our bodies function. It seems like uh, the world has, is, is having to deal with more diseases as the years go by. With each passing year, it seems like there's new things that are coming, new problems that are coming that, that hit our human bodies, our fleshly bodies. We're suffering in the flesh. The whole, the whole crea creation groaneth and travaileth, the Bible says. Why is the whole creation groaning and travaileth? 
It's because of man's fall, because of the fallen condition. We're still suffering. We're still, we still have to face that fallen condition of man. But we can, be, we can be free from that corruption. And I'd like to show you a few verses in the scripture that helps us to understand that. We have been corrupted by sin, but in Genesis 6.12, we have a scripture that helps us to understand that. It says, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. This is where we want to start. All flesh had corrupted. That was itself upon the earth. That was the result of man's disobedience and transgression. The result was corruption. Uh, corruption is a terrible thing. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 17, he says, a corrupt tree cannot bear forth good fruit. Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much crime? Why is there so much violence? It's because of the corrupt tree. Mankind is like a corrupt tree. It cannot bring forth good fruit. There's just no way that it can happen. A corrupt tree is going to bring forth corrupt fruit. A, true, a, a tree is always true to its nature. If it's a good tree, it's going to bring forth good fruit in the natural life. If it's a corrupt tree, it's going to bring corrupt fruit. And so this world is filled with corruption. <clears throat> Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 22, where it says, but ye, but ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so you see, what has been corrupted can also be restored. And that brings us to the next point that we want to make, and that is that even though we are created by God, we've been corrupted by sin. And I don't think anybody will deny that. None of you doubt that, but what sin has touched each one of our lives, hasn't it? It touches our lives every day in some way or another. God has not dehumanized us when he saved us. It doesn't work that way. We're still in a world of sin and still sin is bombarding us. It's blasting us. It just reminds me of the meteorites that flying out through the space. And some of those meteor meteorites penetrate the atmosphere and they, they, they uh, uh, bombard the earth. They penetrate the earth. And some of them strike in, in the form of meteors. And that's the way that, that sin operates in our life today. We, but that can be corrected by grace. Even though we are corrupted by sin, we can be corrected by grace. And that's what the restoration of Calvary provides for us. That's how I understand God's great redemptive plan. And that full atonement that was made by the Lord Jesus Christ when he gave his blood on Calvary. It was to bring forth a corrective measure something that would deal with that situation of sin in our life. In the scripture, we have the doctrine of condemnation. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we are condemned because of that. We live under condemnation. Every individual that has ever lived 
has to face that, that um, uh, condemnation. All have sinned. And then it goes on in Romans 6.23 and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm so thankful tonight that it does not have a period after that word death, but it has a comma. It goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, dear ones tonight, that is our hope. That is the hope of, of our families. That's the hope of our loved ones. That's the hope of the church. And that should be the world's hope today, that we can, we can be corrected by grace through the gift of God. That condemnation is a terrible thing. But we have the opportunity for regeneration. Regeneration is when we can be renewed and things can be restored and we can be justified in the eyes of God. And that word justified is a wonderful word. I believe it means something like just as though we had never sinned. Can you say that tonight? That your situation before God is a justified situation? Or is it a situation of condemnation? I hope not. I hope that it's a situation of justification. I hope that you can all say that your, your position in Christ is one that is just as though you had never sinned. You've been to Calvary. You've been washed in the blood. You have been cleansed. And you have been justified and now sanctified. But like I said before, just because these things have taken place, that doesn't mean that God has dehumanized us and sin doesn't affect us. Sin still affects the Christian. I believe that the, the meaning of the word sanctification, as I understand it, is to be something like to be set apart. Back in the Old Testament, the, the vessels of the temple were sanctified. The utensils, the various parts of the temple worship, the uh, the hardware, so to speak. It was sanctified hardware. And it was to be used only for that proper purpose. And uh, we remember the, the scripture there in, in Daniel where the king brought out the golden vessels that had been taken from the, from the uh, treasury and from the temple in Jerusalem, brought them into Babylon. They were having a party and they were drinking. They were filling the, 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 the sacred cups with the wine and they were drinking. They were becoming drunk. They were having a great old time. And that was when the handwriting came on the wall. Meanie, meanie, meekle, tickle, you farson. Which was to be, was interpreted as, thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. Why were they weighed in the balance? Why was the king weighed in the balance and found wanting? It was because he was using that which had been sanctified for an unholy and an ungodly purpose. And folks, I believe that brings us back again to the thought of the earthen vessel. If you are a believer tonight, that vessel has been sanctified. It has been made holy. I believe that's a part of the process at least. I hope it's that way. I hope that you have all been to Calvary. I hope you've been to the cross. I hope that you've been to God's place of cleansing. That you have been sanctified and that you have been set apart. And woe unto any of us that would use that vessel in an unholy or an ungodly way. And again, I think of the, of the great display of the human body and the overemphasis of the human body. I believe that that is misuse 
of something sometimes that has been sanctified and made holy unto the Lord for the service of the Lord. Sanctification means to be set apart for service. I believe that it's making Jesus Lord of all, not only Savior, but Lord of all, as we spoke last night. When Jesus is Lord of all, he takes full control. That's the way that I understand that, being Lord of all. It means that he, is, he has taken control. We have relinquished control. We have surrendered. We have given it up. We've turned it over to God. Sanctification is something like that. There's one more point to this part of being corrected by grace and that ultimately we will be glorified. Romans chapter 15 verse 29, a wonderful scripture. The writer says, and I am sure that when I come unto you I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Folks, here it's talking about something that is that goes on beyond redemption. It goes on beyond sanctification. It's the fullness of the blessing. You think about that a little bit. When something is full, it can't, it's gone to the ultimate. It's, re, it's, it's gone to the limit. The fullness of the blessing. You know, we haven't really experienced that yet. I believe that, lay, that lies on ahead for us, that glorification. Jesus was glorified when he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. And when he came down, he was, he was in a glorified state. When they saw him there on the Mount, he was in a glorified state. I believe that Moses was in a glorified state when he went up on the mountain with the Lord. I believe that Jesus was in a glorified state when he appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. And when he ascended to the Father, he was in a glorified state. And I believe that we're going to experience that when the Lord takes us home to glory. That will be the fullness, the fullness of the blessing. Perhaps there's other things that we can think of as a fullness of the blessing, but the, really the fullness of it will be that glorified state. When we are like him, when we can see him face to face, when we can awaken his likeness and we can be satisfied, that is a wonderful thing for us to think of, to be glorified with him. There's one more part to this, and I think it's very important, and that is that even though we have, we have been saved, we have been redeemed, we have been washed in the blood, we have been cleansed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified. You know we're still in a human body. We're sti we still have that earthen vessel. God didn't do anything to the vessel. You know, when, when you were saved, there was one thing that, was, that happened. Your sin was taken away. You ever stop to think about that? You still had the same body. You still had the same things to contend with. Not a whole lot changed besides that. What, what took place was that Jesus forgave your sin through his sacrifice, through his, his uh, uh, shedding of blood upon the cross. There was nothing removed in salvation but sin. 
And so again, I would say that God didn't all of a sudden do a grand slam of dehumanizing people. Uh, we talk about people being saints, but not in the sense that some people think that they are. We are saints in the sense of being forgiven and becoming children of God. But the old nature is still there. The old nature is the human nature tainted by sin. That's what the old nature is. The new nature is still the human nature purged from sin. And it's very important to understand that. I'll go over it again. The old nature is the human nature tainted by sin. The new nature is the old nature. The new nature is a human nature purged from sin. And I hope that we can all experience that. We need to all get that far. I hope that you're all that far tonight. And that we can go on to other things in God's service. So it's the same nature, but it's in a new relationship. That's the way I understand it. A new relationship has developed because we have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. But we're still a part of that groaning and suffering humanity. We still groan and we still suffer. We're still in a part of the frustrated creation. You know, I believe that this creation is frustrated today. I believe you're seeing some of the frustrations of cre creation right here in Dallas County right now in the, in the dryness. Weather conditions frustrate us all the time, don't, they? don't we? Nothing we can do about it. Nothing that we can change in the conditions of the weather and what God sees fit to allow us to have, whether it's too much rain and we get floods, or whether it's not enough rain and the ground dries up and the fields go dry and the crops don't develop. That's a frustration. The creation is groaning and suffering. And I believe that the body suffers greatly as a result of the fall. Besides the moral and the spiritual damage that it did to mankind, that, that fall did a lot of damage to the, to the uh, uh, physical body of men. We have a scripture in Exodus chapter 20. It's that Ten Commandments scripture if you want to turn to it. It's an awesome scripture when we think about being parents and raising our children, influencing our grandchildren. In verse 5, it says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, speaking of idols, nor serve them, for I am the Lord thy God. I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Here we see what a part of this fallen condition has to deal with. That the sins of the fathers can be visited upon the children even into the third and the fourth generation. I think it should be, make us very careful as to how we conduct ourselves in the eyes of our children. That we don't spoil the simple faith that a child has by our own misbehavior. Whether it comes to the uh, unclothing of the body or accepting things that are uh, not right that are an abomination unto the Lord or whatever it might be we need to be very careful about that 
Another thought that we have is that we, we were saved from eternal consequences, from the eternal consequences of Adam's sin and of our own sin, but our bodies were not. Our bodies still have to suffer. Some people might wonder, well, they're, they're a Christian. Why, why do they have to have all this problem, all the suffering, all the frustration? Because you're still in that human body, that's all that I can say. I can't really explain it, but we know somewhat how God feels about it, that that's, that sin has been passed on from generation to generation, and it helps us to understand how, how serious a problem sin is in the mind of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I love this verse. I think that it, it holds hope for us. We have, we have hope as Christians. I pity the poor unbeliever out in this world today. I pity the poor unbeliever that has nothing to look forward to. But here it says that God will change our vile body that it might be fashioned unto his glorious body. There is coming a time, beloved, that will not, these bodies won't frustrate us. The weather will not frustrate us. The things of this world will not frustrate us. We'll no longer be living in a fallen world, but we'll be in a glorified state. And this vile body will be changed un like unto his glorious body. I think of the people today who walk with crutches and who roll around in wheelchairs. And if they're believers, there's coming a time when they can dispense with those things. They'll not have to worry about legs that don't serve them. They'll not have to worry about a heart that is weak. They'll not have to worry about a brain that is turned into an Alzheimer's.